0: I began to realize, like, I'm not a slave anymore, and I'm not just a friend. I'm a son. God is actually my daddy. And, you know, when you know who you are and whose you are, worry becomes irrational.
1: This is Supernatural Business in Times of Crisis, the podcast. I'm Andrew Montesi, and I created this show to help empower and equip you to take on the impossible in business. This isn't your average business podcast. In the midst of a global crisis, I interview powerful leaders who will take you deeper, revealing how to operate in business from your position of power in God's kingdom, in faith instead of fear, helping you advance in adversity. There's supernatural breakthrough available for your business and your life today. Hey, welcome back. Now, on this podcast, I've had the opportunity to sit down with amazing leaders, mentors, and friends. But in this episode, I have the honour of interviewing a hero who has and continues to be an influencer and prophetic voice to a generation. I'm talking about Chris Vallotton. He's the senior associate leader at Bethel Church in California co-founder of Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, founder of Bethel Media, Bethel School of Technology, and more. He's a best-selling author who has written more than a dozen books and training manuals, including Poverty, Riches and Wealth, which I reference in this interview, and is a must-read, especially for people in business. Chris is an entrepreneur who co-founded nine companies and has a unique revelation into kingdom business, leadership, and culture. Most importantly, he is a husband, father, and grandfather. There is so much gold and revelation in this interview. Chris talks about his own incredible story of navigating a business crisis, identity and mindset, taking risks with God, dealing with failure, and much more. Now, before we jump into it, I'm really keen to connect with you and share resources, so I encourage you to visit supernaturalbusinesspodcast.com and sign up to our mailing list. Okay, now enjoy the interview with the amazing Chris Vallotton. Chris, it's an honor to have you on the podcast.
0: Thank you very much. It's an honor to be on the podcast.
1: Now, there's so much that I want to talk to you about, but I'm really keen to start with a story that relates to our theme of supernatural business in crisis. And, and I know your story and you've got so many stories aligned with this topic, but I do one in particular that I'm keen to talk to you about is, is that time when mm-hmm. um, you're ready to exit your, your business, you're, you're yeah. moving into, into leadership at, at Bethel you know, you're expecting this windfall of cash, then yeah. then everything gets turned on its head. Can you talk us through uh, it, through that?
0: Yeah, so we built a business for 20 years. We had auto repair shops and auto parts stores. We signed, finally sold our repair shops off and just kept three auto parts stores. And we had a, also a, a little man, remanufacturing shop for our air conditioning compressors. And and we had a supplier uh, that supplied our, our uh, auto parts we had a great relationship with they were the second largest supplier in the united states and so we were moving uh out of the business world and more into the career ministry going to bethel church and so we we talked to the to our um a supplier and said hey we're going to sell our stores and they said oh well we'll buy them we'll buy all three of your stores and we're like oh great so our supplier is going to buy our stores because they they have some company-owned stores and they also have some job our own store so that was a great deal we started about you know probably around 18 months a couple of years maybe before we came to Bethel just making this plan and and they uh so they made us an offer and it was all great and they just kept delaying the 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 uh escrow kept getting delayed and getting delayed getting delayed and finally we're like five four months maybe five months into the escrow it's supposed to be a 60-day escrow then a 90-day escrow, then a 120-day escrow. And finally, you know, I said, hey, are you guys going to buy us or not? Because if you don't want to buy us, we're going to sell to someone else. And they're like, no, no, we'll buy you. And they said, well, here's what we'll do, you know. You don't have to pay your parts bill because we owe like 100 grand a month to them because we buy all our parts from them. Mm-hmm. Don't pay your parts bill until we, you know, finish the deal. I'm like, okay, well, that's a good deal because that, you know, that gives us cash. And Well, that went on for... 18 months and actually what happened is we moved to reading and we started our ministry and thought that you know any day it's going to close i mean like literally like looking back we can see that there was a problem but you know hindsight's 2020 but so they said oh it's going to close any any day now any day well that turned into two more months and so we moved and by the time we by the time they were going to close the deal we would have about 250000 dollars after you know everything was paid off and so we get to bethel i think where they're like i don't know like a month and uh and uh my one of my guys calls my manager we have managers in every store and one of my guys calls and said hey uh big a's numbers disconnected we tried to call for a part like what what's going on and anyway the short story is within about six hours we figured out that they were closed like they just closed the second largest warehouse distribution center for auto parts in the United States closed with a public company closed without any news brief oh no nice. and uh took us a little while to figure out that they were bankrupt they went bankrupt so instead of getting a quarter of a million dollars we ended up owing i think it was like 1.8 or 1.9 million dollars
1: <laughs> <Far out>.
0: Yeah. <laughs> welcome to the ministry yeah <laughs> So of course we were going to bankrupt because we, you know, obviously lost all of our businesses, have no pay no way to repay it. We're in the ministry; we're not getting paid for a year. And uh, elders of the of uh, Bethel said, "Could you please not bankrupt for six months?" And first of all, we said we're going to leave Bethel. We're going to go back to business. We're going to go do what we know because we have to make a living and we have to pay back all these suppliers. We owe all this money. And they said, and one of the elders stood up. You know, it's like 70 year old guy that's been at Bethel for 50 years. And he said, Hey, um, I feel like you're not supposed to bankrupt. Would you not bankrupt for six months? And we'll pray for a miracle. And I actually, this is my exact articulation. I said, I have no faith for that. He said, would you trust my faith? And I said, well, what's six more months? You know, I mean, I'm already broke. So we did, we didn't, we didn't bankrupt. And he, he prayed for us. And, uh, just a few months later, uh, $950,000 was paid off, like forgiven, just forgiven. And then we got forgiven another, like close to 300,000. So, you know, uh, so we never bankrupted. And three years later, we didn't owe anybody anything. Hmm. So it's, a, it's quite a miraculous story. It's part of it's in the book, but I'm, I have to tell you, it was, uh, it's one of those faith stories that it's a lot easier to tell than it is to live. Yeah. And we did have a big loss. We lost our house and we lost our everything, but our cars. But uh, yeah, we, 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 we did in bankrupt and we uh, started all over three years later at 46 years old. We started all over.
1: Wow. Can you, I mean, you mentioned it's easier to say than it is to to live through. Can you talk us through a little bit what your, response was like through that process uh internally um, it,
0: truthfully it was different at different times like we owed 127 suppliers can you imagine can you imagine having no income because Bethel didn't pay us for a year we owed 127 suppliers probably 30 of them were you know friends of ours I mean you know not friends but in business that we owed and and we owed 1.8, at least 1.8 million, probably closer to 2 million and no way to pay it back. And so, you know, you want to run away. Right. And now, and and I'm in public ministry, right? I'm in public ministry and you know, everything in you wants to just go, you just want to go to bed, pull the covers over your head and pretend like this isn't really happening because we built businesses for 20 years. Kathy and I have been partners in business forever. We own nine businesses, 42 employees. Like, you know, uh, that's that's all we knew. We just built business, yeah. and so, you know, it was. I, I got to tell you, it was humiliating. Sorry.
1: That's right.
0: It was humiliating. Hmm. Uh, you know, we're believers, and suddenly our businesses are broken. And, and you know, the challenging thing, as you well know, is you look back, right, and you realize, like, oh, I can see that that, that big A was going broke. Like, I could get it. I understand. Um Their fill rates, which means how many, like you order a hundred parts every day, you order a hundred parts, let's say, and how many they, they actually fill. Like, you know, if they order, if you order a hundred parts, a warehouse should be filling like 97 of them. Well, they were filling like 80 of them. So, I mean, there were signs that there was something wrong, but you know, we didn't see it. We didn't know it.
1: You, you and, don't uh, see it at the time. Yeah. It's no, it's because I'm even on a smaller scale with a startup that I was involved in, we had a, a situation where we were promised as an early stage startup about $2 million in investor funding. Yeah. And that was two weeks away for 18 months and never came in and almost killed the company, almost killed the founder. Like it was horrendous. same story,
0: right? Yeah. Well, you know, like at the, my first response was to, I mean, got as you can imagine, humiliation, humiliation, discouraged depressed and um and then uh you know at some point uh, along the road probably month two or three and and people calling like like 15 phone calls a day like hey you know you didn't pay your bill hey you know and we still have our parts stores open by the way and we have no way to buy parts because no one wants to sell to us so it's like can you imagine having a dairy with no cows you know just terrible you know Hmm. And, and my guys, I still have, like, at the time, I still have, like, 40 employees. And, you know, like, they're my friends and my family. and So, you know, the reality uh, of, of a business crash is very difficult. And we finally made the decision to close because we, we had, really had no choice. And then it was uh, pick up pieces. And, you know, what I finally did, like, I'd say month three, is I said, I got to be proactive. So I started calling you know every day i would call like 10 suppliers and say here's the story i'm really sorry da 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 and then as we would get some money and people just began to miraculously miraculously give us money like one guy gave us 30,000 another guy like a month later gave us 10 grand for doing nothing like it just checks would show up on my desk and i'd have 30 grand i'm like okay so i'd go through the bills and i'd go here's i owe 10 grand on this can i would you settle for two and then he'd be like, oh, I'm not going to sell too much. I can go on to, the, I have 127 suppliers, so I'll go on to the next guy. He's going to, and you know, I did that for three years and all of our friends, we paid back a hundred percent. And, uh, and then we just paid off, you know, people forgave 80%, 90%, 70%, you know, because they were like, well, you could go bankrupt and we'll get nothing or we'll get what you offer. And. And we just did that. And, you know, at first it was really difficult. And then after about six months, I started figuring out like, well, this stuff happens like this. I didn't do anything wrong. It just happened. Mm. And so, you know, it took a, it took a long time. And then of course our credit was destroyed. You can imagine just destroyed. Uh, I think our credit score was like 300 or something. You know, it's like, you're like, you're dead. (laughs) (laughs) He's just completely dead. Don't even try to get a credit card. Yeah. What, so uh, all that was hard. It was very difficult.
1: What was also interesting to me is like we, we understand that in a crisis that that it's going to flush up what's in the heart. But also yeah. what, what was interesting uh, when he- hearing your story is even as the miracle started ro- rolling in, that was actually yeah. also flushing up things in your heart yeah. as well.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, the crazy thing is, so somebody, so we're in the midst of this crisis, right? I'm like, like, let me tell you how tight it is. We don't have food, and people are bringing us food, right? We're at Bethel Church. We're building the school ministry, which turns into the largest vocational school in, in America, by the way. But we're in the early days of it. And and literally, people are bringing us food. So let me be clear. I never wanted, We never went a day hungry. But, I mean, people were bringing us food and um and a guy gives us $30,000 in the midst of this. You got to understand like $30,000 at this time in our life is like it probably be equal to someone getting 300,000. Like it was just we were so desperate. And a really cool uh, part of the story, I don't know if it was in the book or not, but the SBA, we owed the SBA just a little under 300,000. And the guy took a liking to us. And he the the collector and uh, his name is Mr. Chamberlain and Mr. Chamberlain calls one day and says, Chris, I think if you made, if you, if you asked us to take an offer and compromise, we would probably settle for a reduced amount. And I said, Mr. Chamberlain, do you understand? I don't have an income like, like Buffalo's not paying me. And he said, well, just, just, you know, just make a small offer. What could I offer? Like I owe you 300,000, you know, I don't even have a dollar. And he said, well, just make an offer. I said, okay, $10,000, $10,000. He calls me the next day. And he goes, the SBA said they'd settle for 11000 and call it paid in full. But you have 30 days to get the money. And so, and he said to me, Chris, he wasn't a Christian, but he said, Chris, you say you believe in miracles. So believe in a miracle. So anyway, now I'm back to my story, right? On the 29th day, a guy who I don't know gives me a check for $30,000 <laughs> right the day before the last day in the SBA so of course I got to pay the SBA off. but the crazy thing is is that this guy was named Eli and I started avoiding Eli and then one day it was like for like months and then one day he was in the bathroom and I ran in the bathroom because I had to go to the bathroom so bad and he's in there and he didn't see me so I took off and I ran the next bathroom was like a a uh, soccer field away, right? And while I'm running there, I, I I finally realized, like you know how adversity introduces a man to himself. I finally had this revelation, like there's something wrong with me. So I go to bed that night, and you know how this is. I freaking can't sleep, right? I'm laying there, like why am I avoiding this guy who gave me money? Like why do I not want to be in the same room with him? So about probably I don't know four or five, six o'clock in the morning. I'm laid awake all night. And finally I said, well, I should pray. So I prayed. And I asked the Lord, I said, do you know what's wrong with me? And he said, "Uh uh-huh. I said, will you tell me what it is? He said, do you really want to know? I'm like, I did. I laid there for several minutes. Like, I don't know if I really want to know. And finally I said, yeah, I really want to know. He said, well, Eli gave you $30,000. I said, well, I know that. He said, here's the challenge. You don't love yourself $30,000 worth. And you were afraid that if Eli got to know you, he'll be sorry he gave you the money. Wow. And it unveiled this crazy spirit of poverty in me. And, and honestly, not on that night, but over the next few days, I realized that I actually didn't like myself. Like I actually didn't know it. Like, like I wasn't one of those guys who was depressed or, you know, I mean, I've always like I've always liked people and, and I think always been likable from the standpoint. I've always had lots of friends. But I never realized that I actually didn't like myself. And here I was in business for 20 years. And the next revelation is because I don't like myself and because I, I don't think I'm worthy of $30,000, I could never become wealthy because I sabotage my own wealth. And so I asked the Lord in tears that night, like, what do I do? And he said to me, why don't you try loving yourself as much as I love you? Wow. And that became a journey that, you know, I I wrote Supernatural Ways of Royalty out of that experience. And then years, years later, I wrote uh, Poverty, Riches, and Wealth. And I realized, like, there are reasons beyond skill that people reject wealth. And I'm not just talking about money, by the way. Mm. I'm talking about wealth in general. Wealth is you, that people love you, that you have lots of friends, that you're, that you're healthy, that you're powerful, that you're, that you're, that you, that you carry yourself with humility, that, that you trust God, you know, of these, all these measurements of wealth. I, I, I didn't have any of those because I didn't like myself. Wow. And so, you know, the next several years, especially that year, it began a journey of like, I've got to learn how to love me. And it uncovered so much crap in my life. There was so many reasons why I didn't like myself. And, uh, and I, and I, I finally came to the realization. Uh, and again, I want to say it was like an onion. Yeah. Um, uh, God, you don't make junk. I'm your son. I'm like no one you ever made. And I'm not supposed to be. And I do have things that need to change in my life but you love me just the way I am. Therefore I should love me the way I am. Yeah. And it, it literally changed my life.
1: It's incredible. It's an incredible story. Cause I'm, you know, I'm even, as you're talking, I'm thinking about listeners who could very well be in a similar position, given we're in the midst of coronavirus, People are lo- like Sorry. losing their businesses overnight. And it's, yep. you talked about the onion, you know, those layers start getting peeled back. It's, it's incredible. Um, I guess further to that, with, with, with that as a backdrop, can you talk us through um, a bit from an identity perspective, the difference between being a slave and a son?
0: Yeah. Uh, it, it's um, Well, first of all, it's predicated on uh, those. L- let's grab a verse, John 15. Jesus said, I no longer call you a slave, because a slave does not know what his master is doing. But I call you friends for all things I've heard from the father being, known not you? And so Jesus is m- moving his disciples who see themselves as slaves. Like, I just obey. I just do what I'm told. And he's like, I actually want to change my relationship with you. I actually want you to be my friend. I and 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 the and the the side effect of being friends is all things. I've heard from the Father. I've made known to you. So revelation is the fruit of friendship. And we come into friendship with God, and then we realize, I'm called to be more than a friend. I'm actually called to be a son. And then I read Romans 8, you know, and, and I realize that I'm no longer a slave to fear because I am a child of God. And and then, then I realize, wait a second, I'm not just a child of God. I am a child of God, of course, but I'm a child of a king. I'm not a child of a president. God is not president of president. He's king of kings. And the difference is, is that a king's son is an heir. So we're called joint heirs. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh my goodness. The God who made everything is actually my daddy. It's incredible. And I'm actually an heir. Like I have an inheritance. Because my dad's a king, which makes me royalty. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. I am royalty. I'm a royal priesthood, a holy nation, because my dad's a king. And he's king of kings. That means I'm a king who he's king over. I'm a little king, and he's the king of kings. And, And, you know, when you start, and by the way, you know, I didn't come into that in one day. But Mm. I'm, I'm like, I began to realize, like, I'm not a slave anymore. And I'm not just a friend. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I am actually, God is actually my daddy. And, you know, when you know who you are and whose you are, worry becomes irrational. Because... He doesn't just like me; he's wild about me. He's like literally wild about me. He's so crazy about me that he would die just for me. Like no greater love than a man has in this than he'd lay down his life for his friend. So mm. I'm like the the price that he paid on the cross tells me the value that he has for me. Yeah, because well. God doesn't buy junk. And all of that began to like, it began to float together in my brain. Like over a period of months, it just began to collect in my in my mind, uh, like as a puzzle piece that started to get started to take on shape. You've seen those puzzles that are like a thousand pieces, and yeah. you're like, I don't even know what that is. And you start putting it together. You go, Oh, that's a tree. Oh, that's a sunset. Like it started to do that in my mind. And I and, I, and one over a period of a, a few days. I just got this wow revelation. Like, oh my gosh, God is actually my daddy. That changes everything. It does. And uh, and so, yeah, that was a huge revelation. It's not like I didn't know the scriptures. It's like we it didn't actually, Yeah. you know, there's a difference between knowing in your head, knowing in your heart, you know?
1: Yeah, it's amazing. And it reminds me of a line that, um, again, I keep coming back to your book because I've been going through it again for a second time, but um, this line that really stuck with me where you said, so poverty is not a lack of money, it's a lack of revelation. Talking about how a slave does not know what his master is doing, so poverty is not a lack of money, it's a lack of revelation. Like that to me is incredible. Like, can you maybe talk us through a little bit more about that and just explain that?
0: You know, it comes from the story of Joseph, right? So think about like, I no longer call you slaves, because a slave does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends for all things I've heard from the Father made known to you. So think about Joseph in the Old Testament, Joseph and Pharaoh. So Joseph, you know, Pharaoh has a dream, fat calves, skinny calves, you know the story. And the the fat calves eat the skinny calves, and Joseph goes, hey, I know what that means. There's going to be seven great years of plenty. There's going to be seven famine years, and here's what we should do. King's like, Oh, that's amazing. What's the, what's the remedy? He's like, we should store up 20% of all the grain for the first seven years and then we should sell it back to the people. Well, here's the crazy thing that I never actually saw till just a few years ago. Joseph gives the revelation of the dream and the activation to only Pharaoh, right? He doesn't tell all of Egypt. Hey, there's going to be a famine. So basically, Pharaoh says, basically taxes the people. It says, hey, 20% of all the grain, from now on you're going to give it to me. They store the grain, and then when there's the, the years of famine, Joseph begins to sell the grain back to the people. Well, by year five, they all their money's gone. By year six, they come to Joseph and they say, "The people," they say to Joseph, "We have no more money." And Joseph says, "Sell me your farms." So they sell all the farms. Year seven, it says this: the people say, "We've sold all of our property, everything we have." And Joseph says, "Now you will sell yourselves to me." And it says this in 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 Genesis story: it says, "And all." And Joseph enslaved all of Egypt. Okay, what's my point? Revelation, no, friendship releases revelation. What happens when you withhold revelation? Like Joseph releases revelation to Pharaoh, but not to Egypt. What happens is a first world country, Egypt, the wealthiest country in the world, becomes a third world country in seven in 14 years because joseph withholds the revelation wow does not tell them that there's going to be a famine only tells pharaoh and the only person who's rich in that country is you got one rich guy and everybody else is dirt poor guess what happens in the next generation it says and there rose a pharaoh who didn't know joseph and he enslaves the egyptians so what happens joseph enslaves all the no he enslaved all the israelites sorry joseph enslaves all the egyptians but the law of reciprocity happened right the next generation all the israelites are enslaved for 400 years yeah and it's all about revelation and revelation comes from friendship
1: yeah that's right okay. yeah
0: joseph has a friendship with god god gives him a revelation Joseph has a friendship with Pharaoh. Pharaoh receives the revelation that Joseph has no friendship with Egypt and Joseph withholds the revelation and they become slaves. I would say the continent of Africa is the poorest continent in the world. It is actually GDP wise. Mm. And it is the, isn't it interesting that Africa as a continent is the richest company country is richest continent in the world in natural resources. In the whole world, yeah, and the poorest country, no, poorest continent in the world, in gross national product. What's the problem? It's not money. It's revelation. Yeah, wow. And part of the revelation is, you know, who are you, and and do you? Why do you let people enslave you? Because you don't know who your daddy is. <laughs> you know, and of course, there's lots of countries in in Africa. So, we're making a broad statement about some countries wouldn't fit what,
1: you know, my description, of course. Yeah, sure, but uh, I think it's a yeah, really good insight and revelation into that. That's that's amazing. And I guess it kind of it flows into the um I think the next major issue that I think a lot of people are are, are seeing that the fruit of at the moment and that's that's mindset. So, I I'd, I'd love it if you could talk through um poverty riches wealth and the and the the core mindsets and and i guess how how people can know what mindset that they're actually sitting in at the moment so they can actually look to to progress
0: well i think it's really important like let's talk about the virus for a few minutes and how that works i I think some sometimes christians are the first ones to feel like victims and it's like the crisis the the real crisis we're having it really is a virus. The crisis is exposing another deeper issue in us, and and I don't know about how it is in Australia, so I have to be careful. And and you know, a virus is global, so we have a global issue. Uh, so I can only speak to the American response, and this wouldn't fit everybody, of course, but it fit lots of Christians. Americans are are very like they don't like their freedoms taken away, and we get that. You know, we're America, you know, land of the free, home of the brave, and it's not just a model; it's a mindset. But, but, and I don't struggle with that really. Probably partly because I'm an American. But the other part of it is, is that we're like, oh, they're taking away our religious freedoms because they won't let us gather. And I'm like, I don't think they're trying to take away your religious freedom because you got a multi-billion-dollar sports industry that can't gather. You, you, nobody can gather. You know, basketball, football, college is. Christian colleges, non-Christian colleges, like nobody. And then, you know, our government gave us uh, funds, businesses funds. They helped to fund businesses for to so they wouldn't have to lay off their employees for a certain amount of time. And, and they extended that to churches. So, you know, we got, it's called PPP funds. We got PPP funds. And uh, lots of churches got PPP funds along with businesses. So what I... It's not about opening or not opening. I understand there's lots of other ways to look at it. Mm-hmm. But but my point is is that in my mind, that virus revealed for many Christians the same thing that Eli giving me that $30,000. It's like, I have a slave mentality. I feel like a victim. I'm a victim. Someone's trying to get me. And I'm like, Christians are being persecuted all over the world. So let's be clear. There are people in Muslim countries dying for their faith. We're not being persecuted when nobody can gather. So, you know, but, it, but it reveals to me like how quickly we go, I'm a victim. I'm a victim. I'm a powerless victim. And, and I, I mean, I'm like, there are victims, but I'm not sure that, and we may be a victim of the virus, but we're, we're not, we're not a, at, at this point, we're not a victim of, uh, religious, uh, impropriety or, or, you know, that no. mm-hmm. someone's trying to steal our religious freedom, you know? So I, I think I think that we have to get out of the mindset that we are victims and realize we are created to be victors. We are, our mission is to disciple nations until the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our God. That was our assignment. And we, we even told to pray that that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. That's the only prayer we were ever taught to pray. I know we're supposed to pray more than that, but I'm saying the model prayer is that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. We work to get everyone to heaven, but God's trying to get heaven on earth. You know, Revelation is it 22, the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. I I, I mean, I'm saying we just need a new mindset. Like, we are not puppets. We are not victims. We are more than conquerors, so we were built to conquer. So when I have a problem, I'm like, oh, poor me. No, no. You were actually made to win, which means you're more than a conqueror, which means when there's something – if God puts a giant in your land, then he's put a David inside of you. Yeah. It's that simple to me.
1: That's what I believe. Oh, totally. And it's, I guess, further from that, what what I'm probably seeing a bit in Australia uh, from from Christians, like, we're doing – all things considered pretty well over here, but uh, the government's been pouring out the money so um, what's been interesting is entitlement comes out and and also I, I kind of see two modes from from believers, and it's either entitlement, so I'm going to sit and wait and and wait for my government money and then hope that I can go back to the way things were. Or there's people going, I don't care about the government money. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to innovate, grow, create. Yeah. So coming back to, to mindsets, so how do you see those two, those two buckets, I guess? Well, let me say
0: I was just having this conversation with Pastor Bill just a few hours ago. Like socialism is on the rise. And, and socialism is the fruit of fatherlessness. And when you have, in, in, in our nation, 51% of all children being born out of wedlock, you are feeling a father's generation. And the challenge with fatherlessness, there's lots of challenges, but one of them is you don't know how to fend for yourself because that's what your daddy teaches you. So you're you're accustomed to looking for a mother if you will. So the government becomes your mother. It's like I grow old, but I don't grow up. And I actually don't have, I don't have the masculine need to provide like, like fathers. They, they provide, they protect and they promote. That's the three roles of fatherhood. I provide, I protect and promote. But if I don't have a daddy, then I only know the role of motherhood. And I don't mean that mothers can't work outside the home. All of that stuff. Of course they can. Hmm. That's come on. We're, we're in the 21st century. Hmm. I'm saying that God has given each of us a role. A mom, a, a, a woman isn't a man. A man's not a woman. So I think this fatherless movement, and it's all over the world. Australia has the same issues. Yeah. This fatherless movement is feeling someone needs to take care of me. It's feeling that orphan spirit. And the challenge is when you teach fathering principles to bastards, fatherless children. You end up with an orphanage. Hmm. And and the church is the church. The world is a global orphanage right now. And so I think that the response of the government's gonna take care of me, the government's better government's gonna bail me out. Who's 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 taking care of me? That whole response is the fruit of fatherlessness. And I think that I think that and that's the fruit of immorality and that's the fruit of lack of covenant and we can keep going back till we go and that's the fruit of we lost connection with god the challenge is is that the people that have a connection with god believers christians they've taken on the mindset of the world and we're being frog boiled in an orphan spirit and don't even realize that no we were born to conquer we were born to provide we were born to protect, we're, we bring identity. It's like, this is our day. Like, like I woke up the third day of the virus and I, I woke up. I turned to my wife at six in the morning and I said, Baby, are you awake? She's like, I'm just waking up. I said, I was born for this. And she's like, for what? I said, for this season. I was born for this season. Arise and shine for your light has come. I was born for darkness. I'm like an owl. I can see through the darkness. And she, she kind of chuckled. And she's like, yes, you were, you know? And (laughs) I'm like, we believers, we shine in dark times.
1: We are not victims. Yeah. So how, so for, for listeners who may be going, yeah, yeah, Chris, I hear what you're saying. And I now can perhaps recognize where I'm at. How do we, how do we transition?
0: Well, it goes back, like the first 10 minutes of our conversation, right? Do you know who you are? Do you understand who your daddy is? Like, once you settle the identity issues, then you know what to do. But fear and rebellion are terrible counselors. They're both terrible counselors. Like, rebellion and fear do not possess wisdom. So, wisdom is the fruit of identity in god um uh, uh, uh the you know the the most told story about wisdom is solomon right and solomon has two prostitutes who both had babies at the same time one of the babies died and the two prostitutes come to him one of them saying he's my baby another one saying it's my baby and isn't it interesting that solomon does not get a word of knowledge he doesn't go oh it's Jane's baby, yeah. not Mary's. He doesn't have a word of knowledge. What he has is wisdom, and wisdom is the path to knowledge. Mm. Wisdom is the path to knowledge. like wisdom knows how to get knowledge. And Solomon says, cut the baby in half. And the one woman goes, no, 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 she can have him. And Solomon goes, that's the woman whose child it is. And I'm saying, wisdom is the path to knowledge Fear and rebellion create dead ends to wisdom, which means we don't come to knowledge, which means we don't know what to do.
1: Yeah. So good. So good. Um, There's so much we could could stick with on that. But the other thing I'm really keen to talk to you about is risk. So, Uh again, given... Given your story, where we're at, um, I love it. Risk gets me excited. That's not the same yeah. for everyone, but um, you know, you've, no. you've said that risk is partnership with God. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that in a bit more detail well, for me?
0: Well, we, we, we kind of almost jokingly say faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Yeah. Because faith is believing the unbelievable. It's seeing the, the, the unseeable and it's doing the impossible. So, like, literally, you don't, you don't, uh, oh, here, let me, let me quote a verse. Proverbs says, where there's no oxen, the manger is clean. The barn, it's clean. But much increase comes with the oxen. Well, we don't have oxen, but we have horses. I can tell you what's in the, what's in the barn when there's horses. A whole bunch of crap. So, if you want to grow in faith, If you want to grow in God, you will have to take risks. Now, if you take, if you say, I'm taking risks, let's say you risk money in the stock market or you risk money in whatever and you never lose, like you never lose. I propose to you that you didn't take risks because the nature of risk means you don't always get it right. Hmm. You don't always get it right. And so we have to have a culture. Um we have to have a culture that knows how to fail successfully and knows how to learn from our mistakes. This is, and by the way, you know this from experience, right? You always learn more from your mistakes than you learn from your successes. Yeah. Always. Your, your, your mistakes are unforgettable lessons. If, and here's the key, if you take responsibility for them. If you fail, let's say you fail in business and you go, not my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. Well, guess what? You get to do this over again because you didn't learn anything. And, you know, if you, if you fail in ministry or let's say you, you believe in healing and you pray for someone and they don't get healed and you're like, well, you know what? It's not my fault. It must be their fault. Like they didn't have faith. I, I mean, I don't learn anything if I don't take responsibility for the places where I don't succeed. And so we have to, as fathers and mothers, one of the things I think we're tasked with is to create a culture where failure is not final. And we have to have an R and D culture, research and development culture, along with our no defects, zero defects culture, where we're not going to grow and learn. And, and that means that we have, we can't punish people who fail. And, and that is very difficult for religious people like often we feel like we're supposed to be the punishers. People, I I mean, I could tell you that every single day, there's not a day that goes by in the last 10 years when I don't get a private social message message or on social, and people are like, you're a false prophet because the way you interpret this verse is wrong. You failed, therefore you're a failure. It's not just like, hey, you believe the wrong thing. It's like, you are a failure. This is religion. You, you failed, therefore you are a failure. You, you, you misinterpreted that verse, therefore you are a false teacher. You're a false prophet. And and it, and it leads people like to, it paralyzes people. It's like, well, I, I don't, I don't want to get it wrong. Yeah. And it's like, listen, Judas and Peter both lied, denied Christ. Both of them did. One of them hung themselves and the other became the head of the church. Wow. Yeah. The question is, are you a Judas or a Peter? Because there's no such thing as I never make, I, I never make mistakes. And I'm, I'll, I'll say right now, like I'm a Thomas, like I doubt it. I doubt that's true. And if you never make mistakes, it's because you're not trying anything. It means you're not growing.
1: It's, it's so important point because there's never been a, t- a time in, at least in recent memory for, for me, where people are going to be facing this very issue, like failure, business, their business is collapsing, business they've had sure. for years, ego, everything. Um, that's such a good word for, for people out there listening because they're going to have to pick up their things and, and keep going. There's going to be, there's actually a great opportunity for risk right now.
0: You know, i, I got to say a couple of things about this. Yep. You're really inspiring me. Um, this is probably 25 years ago. I I was reading Inc. magazine, a, a business magazine yep. in America. So this is old news, but I, the principle's still there.
1: We do get Inc. here in t- little old Adelaide.
0: Yeah, I'm saying the article was yeah. 25 years old. Yeah, awesome. But it was an article about uh, the top CEOs of the top Fortune 50 companies in America. And it pointed out that every one of the top 50 CEOs at the time had bank, been bankrupt at least once, and most of them three and four times. And the author of the article, I wish I would have kept it because it's so profound. One of those articles you, you cut out and then you're like, what did I do with it? You know. But the author's point was that they all learned through their failure how to lead a Fortune 50 company. Like they didn't quit. They kept going. And, and I, and Henry Ford said something that I think is profound. He said, and I, I won't get it exactly right, but the concept was he said, he said, burn down my factories, take all of my money, but give me my people back. And in five years, I will have everything that I began with because what you see on the outside, all this success, I have it on the inside. And the challenge is, is that if you're in business right now and you fail because of the virus, by the way, we know that businesses are going to fail. Like the very few businesses can go two and three months without business and then open up to 50% of their, their, you know, 50% of their, of their sales. Yeah. I mean, very few business could survive that. And that doesn't mean you're a bad businesswoman or a bad businessman. That's just business. So I want to say that. What you built externally, like Hebrews 11, says what you see was created from something unseen. And I'd say the same with business. You want the best information ever? Go find a man or a woman who used to be a billionaire and went broke. Those people have the greatest knowledge of how to get it again because they built it once. And once it's built inside of you, you can reproduce that very quickly. So I want to say to all the people who are listening who are business people and you're like, Oh, I lost my business or I'm gonna lose my business. I'm like, oh, you'll get it back very quickly, even if you shut that down and start over, because you already know how to build it, because you built it once. Yeah. You have a capacity. You built capacity for wealth. And the key issue on the outside is do you have it on the inside? The problem becomes when you get when you inherit something bigger on the outside if if you inherit something bigger on the outside than you are on the inside that's when your business that's when you're a business failure because you don't have capacity for what you've been given mm. this is the problem with the difference between entitlement and inheritance in entitlement you get things too soon but inheritance Your mothers, your fathers are watching for capacity to build so that they know that this isn't going to crush you.
1: That's why we see God so good when he doesn't just give us everything we ask for instantly.
0: Yeah. Aren't you glad he doesn't answer all your prayers?
1: (laughs) Exactly. So good. I think, yeah, some amazing points there. I guess on a personal level, um, you know, being a father to a generation, a leader of a extremely influential church you're involved in many things what's your personal response been to this and and what's been your approach to leadership given the teams that you've got underneath you who are looking for your guidance
0: my personal response has been uh really 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 ingrained in me for the last 10 years like what's best for our city so lots of christians are like we got to get our churches open and i'm like of course my personal i mean preachers want to preach i mean i've gone from preaching seven eight times a week to preaching once a week and it's definitely not scratching the itch i got so i want the gate to open but my greater concern is for our own city like what's it going to take for our businesses to open and i am passionately you know saying to our governor You can't leave our businesses closed for three months. It will take us 18 months to recover from that. Like church is going to recover. We have a service. Like if it's next week, the governor says you can, you can assemble. Everyone's going to come back to church. Not a problem. Business doesn't work like that. So, you know, I'm very concerned for our city and uh, very have a very good relationship with our board of supervisors and with our, uh, city council. And, uh, and I'm in there right now, just like we got to get like, there's a risk in opening. There's a greater risk in staying closed. Um, I understand capacity for our hospitals feels like we have that solved. Let's take a risk. And as you just, as we just talked about risk, like life is a risk. And, 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 you know, the, Allowing our economies globally to fail is a, a 10 times worse crisis than, uh, than we will ever experience with this virus. Of course. So uh, that's my concern. And so, you know, um, I, I think that many many pastors are very concerned about getting their churches open. I certainly understand that. Uh, I, I'm concerned about that, but I'm way pushing for us to be concerned about our city. And the second thing I'll say about that is, what do unbelievers think about pastors and shepherds who are willing to open their churches at the risk of spreading the virus? And by the way, I, I think we need to open our churches now, but I'm saying in our early days. And I'm like, I think we need to say to the our city, like, we're more concerned about you. You're the one that doesn't have Jesus if you die with the virus, you know? I don't want to say that, but... <laughs> so. You you know what I'm saying? So my response is, guys, we're supposed to be discipling nations, not just pastoring a church. Let's have a balance. I do realize we need our church open. I'm all for that. But let's make sure that we're shepherding well our interaction with the governor, our interaction with our city council, with our mayors. Like, are we, are we shepherding our relationships well? Because this virus is going to be over in a few months and whatever we did to those relationships we will have to
1: live with yeah and what are you seeing uh prophetically uh in the future um probably broadly but also for business how do you how do you see things unfolding i mean i, I find it interesting because as as i said earlier you know there's a lot of people that are just wanting to go back to the way things were but um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you have a view on that or, or, or kind of what's been revealed to you on that.
0: <laughs> well, if you think about um, I, I don't know exactly what that statement means, although I hear it a lot. But, um, you know, if you think about after 9-11 and the crisis we had when we all were flying, I flew uh, on 9-13. So three days, two days after the crisis, I was on a plane and it took us two and a half hours to get through the security line. So, you know, it was very clunky. Uh, but now, you know, we all fly and I think we're all like, I feel so much more secure on a plane than I did before 9-11 because I know that people likely don't have a gun on the plane. They likely don't have a knife on the plane and, and everything's streamlining quick. Like uh, it doesn't cost me but an extra four or five minutes to get on a plane, maybe 15 minutes in a, when there's a big international flight. So, I mean, so we haven't ever gone back to life as usual from that standpoint. At the same time, it's not been bad, a bad thing in my mind. Hmm. Um, I think it's ultimately been a good thing. I think the challenge with, uh, you know, there's been lots of prophecies about the next great um, assault on humanity won't be bombs and bullets. It will be viruses. And I think that as we become a global community, so easy to spread a virus from a town to a to a nation. And from a nation to the nations, you know, because we all travel so much where, let's say, you know, let's say 150 years ago, someone gets the virus. I understand this doesn't work as well as I'd like the the analogy, but because we're traveling on horseback and, you know, in boats and it's less likely that it's just naturally going to spread. Yeah, of course. Because we're not, we're not going anywhere and we're not, we're not locked into planes breathing the same air. So I do think that it's not so much that there are more uh, viruses, but I think that the way that they travel and that we travel, I think it's I think we're going to have to have a, a better plan. And I think the plan is really about capacity, isn't it? It's about you know having hospital capacity, having ventilators in this case, and making sure that we have the that kind of capacity. Kind of like we have TSA agents now. We don't have one. We have several. You know, it's like it, 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 you have to have capacity to create safety. And I think there's I think it's good that we're creating capacity. Um, I also think that there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of different motives about opening that are uh, people are very concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the fear motive uh, is a big one. Uh, the political motive in our country. A lot of people hate Trump and they don't want him to win again. So you know, it feels like well, if the the you know if we if we lift the the quarantine, our and our economy pops right back, and you know our economy was like the best ever for for America. That plays in Trump's favor as far as the election goes. Yeah. So you know, there's a lot of people that feel like there's a strategy to keep the economy, you know, not not in full speed, at least not in full speed. Till we get past the election to try to win the election. So, you know, how much is that is true? Uh, is some of it. Some of it's true, you know. Um, uh, and I'll make this final point. Because our uh, financial, our economy is not an economic problem. It's a virus. In other words, this is one of the first time. it's the first time in my history of being on the planet for 65 years that we have a bad economy, not because... We've done something wrong in the economy, but because we have a virus, meaning that we didn't get like, let's say you have a bad business and you're losing money and it's like, okay, you know, and you close. Well, okay. When you open, you still have to fix the problem. But if the government comes by and says, listen, you can't open your store. I'm like, I'm, I'm thriving. Well, you did. There's not a business problem. So what happens when you open that door? You didn't have a problem before you closed it. So you don't have a business problem. You have a virus problem. Yep. So what's going to happen around the world is as soon as that door unlocks, the cattle are going to get out of that chute because the cattle aren't dead. Yep. So I think we're going to have the fastest recovery. Well, we've had the worst virus in, in generations. So it's probably, probably simple to say this, but. I think we'll have the fastest recovery in modern history in our economies everywhere because we don't actually have an economic issue, Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. No, it's really good. Uh, Chris, you've been so generous with your time, but I've I've just got my final quick round of of questions uh, to to finish off. We've got weapons um, to equip listeners, which I'm asking of all of our guests. Mm Mm-hmm. What is your one daily habit that you'd recommend our listeners to, to get on the front foot each day?
0: That's going to sound so cliche-ish. You got to read your Bible and, and, and get your mindset, not, not just read it. You got to get your mindset there. Cause if you're getting your mindset from the news, you're being frog boiled. Like, yeah. I don't care who, whose news you like in America, we have Fox news. We have CNN and people are like, Oh, I get all my news. Fox news. It's like, yeah no you you need to get your news from the bible so i'd say i spend time reading every day some days it's it's 15 minutes some days it's three hours you know it's just but but i have a relationship with the word
1: yeah is there a particular verse right now that's that's standing out for you
0: um there's several verses but uh i i would recommend reading the book of nehemiah chapters one through six because uh it's a great study in the restoration of the walls and gates of Jerusalem. It, it is so parallel to what we're learning now, including the spiritual enemies that are trying to keep us from, uh, from recovering. And by the way, it's not the Democrats or the Republicans or whatever, whatever parliament or whatever your, your political offices are there. We have a devil who wants to kill, steal and destroy. Let's keep in mind who our enemy is. So Nehemiah has a fantastic story of the restoration of the economy in the midst of five enemies. And I think it's so profoundly prophetic. And not only that, but the name Nehemiah means comforter. So it's such a beautiful picture of how the Holy Spirit is moving us forward. And I also say this uh, one point. The Lord spoke to me about two months ago and said, humility is the way forward. And I began to realize that humility plus nothing equals promotion. Humility plus nothing. If you humble yourself, you will be exalted. So I would say, read the book of Nehemiah. Humility is the way forward. So when you, you, you feel like you should rise up and, you know, like rise up against somebody, remember that if that somebody is a human, you got the wrong enemy. Really good. Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's awesome. What about a worship song? Is there anything right now that's at the at the top of your playlist?
0: I don't. I don't have a worship song that I that I like. I I love what uh, Bethel Music and Hillsong are putting out in the last year. Like it's so like uh, Bethel Music just did an album called Peace. Yeah. And they launched it a month into the virus. Powerful.
1: It's very very good. powerful. Yeah.
0: And, uh, and, uh, the stuff that Hillsong's been putting out the last year, I mean, it's just freaking amazing, you know? So, uh, I, I think, I, I love, I think those two movements, music movements in general, they're more than, uh, I, I was, uh, there's a great, uh, Plato said, give me the music. No. Yeah. Give me the music of Rome. And I will rule the nation. And I think that Hillsong, specifically Hillsong, and Duffel Music, and I'm sure there's many others. So let me be clear, but that their songs are like songs of deliverance, yeah, and songs of healing. And I can't choose one because there there are so many. Like I get an album, like you know, usually like two songs in the album. I'm like, I like five, six songs off this album. This is so profound, and there's a growing revelation. Which each, with each of the releases. So super excited about the uh, those movements, those, those music movements.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned Peace. Worship music. Peace, end-to-end, end, is just a beautiful album for this time. Lovely. It is. Uh, another one that you're probably going to find very hard to pin down, but a book. Is there a particular book that you'd recommend, particularly for if, if one comes to mind for people in business or are kind of called to career? Well,
0: I want to say, as far as mindset, so this isn't, this is going to answer the business one. Bill's book, uh, called, um, Strengthen Yourself in the Lord. Yeah. I actually went into Bill's office, uh, a month ago and I said, dude, you got to give that book away right now. Like, there are so many people who need that book. And, uh, he did. And, uh, and, uh, and my book, uh, Spirit Wars, again, what's not, those aren't business books. Uh, but they're so profoundly, um, I think they're the edge of the sword right now for what we actually need to hear. Because, again, we don't have a business problem. I- I'm not saying nobody does. I'm saying the core of our nations, we don't have an economic issue. We have a fear issue that is actually causing our economies to fail. That's very different than we've ever faced before. So I think those two books are, are really uh, good for where we're at. And, and by the way, I, I like a lot of secular books like, you know, uh, Good to Great is one of my very favorite books ever. I don't know if you've read it, but mm. I would recommend that book, you know, um, anything by Malcolm Gladwell. I read uh, his book, Tipping Point. This is a pretty old book, but it's just, you know, I just went back through it a while back and just a great book. John Maxwell's stuff on business, you know, a developing leader within you, a developing leader around you, are classics like we teach that book every year to the students, those two books. Those things are meaningful to me. I know I didn't answer your question. I'm no, sorry. no,
1: that's good. You answered it perfectly. I love it. Now, just to finish off, I wondered if um, you'd, you'd pray for our listeners if you could.
0: I would. Yeah. And Lord, I thank you that you haven't given us a spirit of fear, but love and power and a sound mind. And you said that you pray, in like fact, John said, I pray that you'd prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. So I pray that every single person listening to this podcast would have prosperity of soul so that we could be be healthy and that we could be prosperous. You said that you want us to be prosperous and in good health. And you said that our soul needs to prosper for that to happen. So we pray for the soul's of women and the souls of men and that our countries would be restored to better than full strength that we would never go back the way we were, but we would come back to something much better and that we would take everything we've learned in this crisis and that we would spread it. We would spread it like a virus. We would spread the good news like a virus. We would have a Jesus virus that has no inoculation that spread across the world. That would bring the good news of the kingdom to everybody within the sound of our voice in jesus name
1: amen amen chris thanks so much i'm so grateful for your generosity with your time but also uh, for everything that that you do um yeah it's amazing i think you know you said it to kathy at 6 a.m but you definitely are called for a time like this so thanks so much chris really grateful
0: i love you i'm looking forward to seeing you in
1: Reading. awesome mate see you then
0: talk later bye now
1: for listening to the podcast make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss an episode and i'm keen to connect with you hear how you're doing and also send you some free resources make sure you sign up at supernaturalbusinesspodcast.com and you'll hear from me soon